The contents of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, welcome to another edition of HealthKick. I'm Tim Borum. Uh, today we're talking about medical cannabis, which is now well established uh, as a listed ASX sector, uh, but it might have come off the boil a bit in uh, recent uh, months or years. It's still attracting investor interest though, uh, or at least it is for Zilera Therapeutics, uh, which has just carried out a capital raising, uh, raising $8.75 million, and that, and that raising was uh, heavily uh, oversubscribed. Now, Zilera's game, or, or one of its uh, many games, is using cannabis uh, as an insomnia treatment uh, to replace existing treatments that are ineffective or substandard. Uh, think perhaps uh, sedatives or, or even counting sheep. Zilera's recently held successful mid-stage clinical trials here for its uh, chronic insomnia treatment called ZLT101. And the company has recently announced its plans to develop products that target symptoms associated with peripheral arterial disease, as well as diabetic neuropathies. And the uh, the company's got other things on the boil as well. And I've got uh, Zalera Chief uh, Dr. Richard Hopkins here to uh, tell me more. So, uh, Richard, uh, welcome. Thanks, Tim. It's terrific to be here. Great. Uh, now you're off the back of a recent capital raising, um, and and you, you're very happy with the uh, result. Uh, what does it tell you about uh, the sector and and the company itself? Um, thanks, Tim. You, you're right. We were really pleased with the outcome of the trial at uh, the capital raise. Um, as you mentioned earlier, the sector has been sort of pulling back uh, globally over the past 12 to 18 months, but I think it's taken collective breath. And for those that I think are well positioned with the right strategy, we're a classic example that there's there's good support from an investor perspective uh, to continue uh, backing and expanding this sector. Um, for us and our point of differentiation, and I think others will follow, is that it's now maturing to a point we've really got to focus on what we believe to be the critical element, which is the last mile to the patient. Um, that's really where the sector is now starting to move. Yeah, okay. So it sounds like the market's being a bit more discerning and... Uh focusing on the, the companies with uh, more uh, developed uh, clinical programs. Absolutely. it's a, Ultimately, it's a prescription medicine. And so the old rules about development of drugs are going to apply, uh, notwithstanding the early sort of gold rush into cultivation and so on, which means we're, uh, we're going to be circling back to the old pharmaceutical traditions of requiring really well-supported clinical data to justify claims and then to make sure that they're aligning with patient needs. So these are just old rules which are well established. Uh, Richard, what will you use the funds for? Well, we've got a number of, I think, really exciting opportunities for the company ahead of us. Uh, We've been, I think, working really hard over the past couple of years underneath the radar to build out the clinical data pack for a number of different product lines. But because of, if you like, a unique arbitrage opportunity around cannabis globally being 
able to be accessed as an unregistered medicine, uh, we can actually move our products to market much earlier than a biotech could. So we're actually poised over the next six months to launch five different products uh, into global markets, uh, starting in Australia with two products focused on autism and insomnia. And then in the United States, we'll be moving into alternative product lines, looking at aged care, um, uh, uh, dermatology, and uh, chronic pain. Uh, these, these are all portfolios that will be coming online in the next um, uh, three months in Australia and building that out over the next 12 months across global markets. It's very exciting. Now, of course, you mentioned unregistered, um, but you're also pursuing the prescription market. Um, I guess I guess a key point is that uh, Zelira used to, actually used to be known as Zelda. Uh, a lot of listeners would, would know them as, as, as that, but uh, they merged or you merged with uh, Alira. Uh, I think you were based in Pennsylvania. Sure. Um, so they, the point being that they had uh, uh, products already, um, uh, over-the-counter products already. Not quite over-the-counter. In the United States, it's still the same. It still needs a, a recommendation or a prescription from a physician. So we only... Should I say non, non-prescription then? Uh, it's Well, it's recommendation, but it still has to go through a practitioner. So you, in order to be able to get access to the product, you've got to have approval from... So in each state, for example, in the US, where you can medicinal cannabis is approved, you, are, you have to meet the requirements for a conforming condition, which is set by the state. You then have to be registered and you then have to see a physician and then you can take that recommendation, which is nominally a script to a dispensary. So there's quite a few hurdles you still have to overcome to access these products. Yeah, it's speaking of the, uh, the the US regulatory scene, it, it's, it, it's a bit of a patchwork, isn't it, of, of state-based approvals uh, and uh, it, the um, medical cannabis, is, it's, not, uh, it's not approved federally as such. So is it a bit hard to uh, navigate? Yes, it is. I think it's been a, it's a, you're right, it is an absolute patchwork of hap-chance circumstance across the United States. It's a very fragmented market. <clears throat> but just to actually to clarify, I'll answer that question, I thought I'd clarify one point. By unregistered prescription product, what we're saying here is that um, you, with a prescription of some description, you can get access to these products, but they've lifted the burden as regulators where you don't necessarily have had to have completed all the preclinical and clinical trial data in order to get access to these products. That's the big difference. So that partially explains why the sectors emerge so rapidly. You can literally take a, a plant, an extract, or a processed version of the flower in, in the form of an oil, uh, and you can move that directly to market because there are those clinical barriers that you have to overcome. We think that's going to change as the market becomes more regulated but for the moment, this is the reason um, that any of us were able to exist and generate revenues from products by launching relatively early in the, in the pathway. In the United States, our approach as a company is a little bit different to most. You're absolutely correct. It's, it's legal. Uh, medicinal cannabis is legal in 35 states across the United States. But because of the federal prohibition, you're unable to move product across state lines. And so companies have had to rebuild out that infrastructure for cultivation in every state. Our commercialization approach is to sit above that in order to be able to get access to the whole market, remembering that the United States is by far and away the biggest medicinal cannabis market in the world. It's about 400 times bigger than Australia. Um, we've taken a biotech type approach where we license our intellectual property and clinical data and know-how for manufacture to manufacturers and dis- distributors in each state. Okay. 
And through yeah. that process, because we're not touching the plant, we don't break any federal laws, uh, we're able to actually get access to the whole of the United States market. And from a commercialization perspective, the cool thing with that is that we attract an upfront licensing fee for every deal and a royalty stream on net sales with our partner, all of it with minimal capital requirements. So it's, it's completely the opposite to most of the companies that exist in the medicinal cannabis market in the US. We think it's quite an exciting and novel model. But you need the clinical data to support it. Sure, sure. Okay, okay. Um, and, and in terms of the clinical programs, uh, which runs would you uh, define as being the uh, most advanced at, at this stage? So the, the two programs we're focused on in the near term are autism. Um, and as you mentioned correctly, we've actually launched a product in Pennsylvania called HOPE. It consists of two different um, drugs or medicinal cannabis, cannabinoid-based products targeting different aspects of that spectrum disorder. Uh, and that's had a hugely successful launch in its first 12 months. It's generated significant revenues and it's, I think, established itself with 20% of the market already in Pennsylvania. It's quite amazing. We've subsequently done another deal in Louisiana and we'll be rolling that out in that state and there'll be more deals to flow in the United States. And we're going to be launching that same product into Australia uh, by the end of September, early October. So I'm pretty excited because I think if you understand what's not present in the autism market, there's only two FDA-approved drugs, all of which have very significant side effects for treatment of autism. A lot of the existing medications that are used off-label similarly have a lot of side effects that really worry parents and limited efficacy. Uh, we think there's a huge demand for a product that's established itself as being very, very safe and is able to meet the behavioural um, uh, requirements to improve the quality of life for patients and families. So there's, I think, this is, watch this space. It's going to have a real impact in the market. The other product that we'll be launching is our uh, insomnia product, which we've labelled Xenobol. That is the world's only clinically validated uh, product for chronic insomnia, which is cannabis-based. Amazing when you think that everyone will tell you that cannabis has an impact on sleep. We're the first ones to actually validate that claim under clinical trial. And so that product will be, again, in Australia towards the end of Q3, so around late September. And it'll also be marketed in the United States and we'll be taking it to Europe. So we're really excited about the potential of that because the market is significant for chronic insomnia. About 5% of people suffer from it. Yes, yes, yes. It, it's uh, it's very common. Um, I guess I guess a perennial question with that is uh, whether you're competing with the uh, uh, illicit uh, market, um, because uh, I think as, as it suggests, there's plenty of evidence that uh, cannabis helps you sleep, but uh, it's uh, probably more uh, anecdotal evidence, if you can call it that. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's it, that's exciting in insofar as um, if you think about our, our commercialization strategy and who we're targeting here, it's not just meeting the patient needs, it's also the prescriber's needs. And what doctors are looking for and what they really haven't seen to date with a lot of medicinal cannabis products is something they would recognise as a normal drug profile. So in other words, when an information sheet lands on their desk, they're going to ask very simple questions like, what's the side effect profile of this drug? What's its efficacy profile? How much drug do I give my patient? Um, when do they take it? How much should they take? These are really basic questions that you'll, you know, obviously liaise with your doctor on that will set out the framework for how you administer that drug. That is exactly the approach we're taking with our clinically validated products. It's almost irrelevant that they contain cannabis. That's not really the point. It's actually the fact that we can represent them as genuine drug alternatives because we can give 
the doctor all that information they require, which gives them comfort about how to administer and protect the patient's safety around this particular class of compound. So we're coming to the market with the view that these are drugs in their own right that just happen to contain cannabis. And that's how you meet the endpoints for your doctors. Yeah, okay, okay. And uh, with with uh, insomnia and uh, indeed with uh, uh, autism, uh, are, are we talking about uh, THC, the um, you know, psychoactive uh, component of, uh, of uh, cannabis? Yes, we are. And... There's a lot of data out there to say that the key components of cannabis work very well together if you retain them in your in your compound in your in your formulation. Yes, the entourage effect, which um, more than anecdotally now supports the idea that it improves efficacy and safety at the same time. And just the way that nature works, it's often complex, and it seems to like um, having more elements retained in the cannabis formulation than, than not. So the key to, I think, our strategy with regard to the clinical trials is we can show that unequivocally at the doses we're administering to patients, uh, you don't see psychoactive effects. You know? These are, are sub-psychoactive, but they're still efficacious. And in that regard, they're no different to any other drug you might take. If you take too much of an opioid, you're also going to suffer the side effects of that. It's about administering the right dose for the right indication at the right time. And that's what our clinical trials have clearly established. It's a very, very safe product. And you can readily avoid this idea of psychoactivity just by administering the right dose. So it sounds like your formulations are, are all about balancing the, uh, the THC, the, the active component, with the other cannabinoids, uh, all, all the other bits and pieces uh, in, in, in the uh, plant. Absolutely. That, that's key to our, if you like, what we call launch, learn and develop model. We use hard science to develop proprietary formulations where there's really strong scientific evidence to support efficacy against that indication. And that means tuning your formulation so that the, the makeup, THC, CBD, and all the other cannabinoids, um, best uh, is, is most efficacious and safe against that particular indication. So we tune it based on science, capture the intellectual property around that, then launch that into the market to generate revenues. But then we learn from our patients through that process, you know, how's it, how's it working for them? When are they taking it? When is it most effective? What's the safety profile like? And that teaches us a lot about, um, uh, you know, whether the market is accepting of that particular product, do we need to improve it? And when we're satisfied, it's, satisfied it's working, we can then take, if you like, all of that information uh, into a clinical trial, which we can do in Australia, completely de-risked. By virtue of the fact that we already have, we almost have the answer in, in place before we commence the trial because we've learned from our patients. That's, I think, what's exciting about this very disruptive model that cannabis brings us. So when you use hard science and then bring those products to market, you can, I think, further inform your drug development pathway to ultimately get these products to registration, but in the meantime, de-risking the outcome of your trials. It's, it's not been done before in pharmacology or pharmacy or in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, and we think this is, reflects the, the disruptive power of cannabis, if you like, as we build out the normal framework you would expect for a, a validated compound. Validated. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Great. And uh, coming back to uh, autism, uh, you mentioned there's there's not a lot around. Um, mm. I think you mentioned there's only two other treatments uh, uh, approved. Uh, is that in the cannabis space, or are you talking overall? Overall, there's only two drugs that are FDA approved for autism. So mm. very. And they only, they only address part of the behavioural 
features that are present within across that spectrum disorder. And that's the reason that typically you know, doctors are using a lot of drugs off-label, so they haven't been validated by clinical trial. But there's some evidence to support anecdotally that they benefit patients and so on. So cannabis sits very much within that framework of existing compounds where the unmet need is not being addressed. But we come in with a very strong proposition that these drugs are really safe. That has clearly been established. Uh, and we feel that, and the evidence also suggests that they can significantly improve the behaviours associated with autism spectrum disorder. And the readouts are very clean. Um, you know, if you take a non-verbal autistic child and they suddenly start to speak or they reduce their anxiety to a point where they can go to school um, and their behaviour improves, uh, it's not just the patient, it's the parents who will tell you very quickly this drug is having an impact. So there's lots of data to support the benefit of medicinal cannabis in that, in that context. No one's done it clinically, though, and this is what we're moving into with hope. Yeah, okay, okay, great. Because there, there really aren't many uh, approved cannabis treatments uh, just, just, just generally, are there? No, I think what's... I think there's one for um, uh, uh, epilepsy. Correct. And uh, that's about it, isn't it? So there's one company, you're absolutely correct, there's one company called GW Pharma who've really pioneered this whole space for everyone to follow. And they followed a classic pharmaceutical drug development path where you know, over 10 years they brought two drugs to market. The first one was called Sativax that was approved in um, uh, Europe for multiple sclerosis. It's a niche market. But more recently they bought through another drug which is registered in the US uh, called Epidolex and Australia as well. And that's proved enormously successful. So that has met all the requirements for approval. Uh, and it's, if you like, set out the framework that we're following, that all our drugs are being developed to that standard as well. The key difference between us and GW is that we pivoted to the unregistered space in the interim, partially to generate revenues, but also to, I think, take advantage of the fact that we can put our drugs into the patient population to accelerate the drug development process because we can learn from their experiences and then feed that into clinical trial. That's quite exciting. So we can do what GW has done, I think they're valued at four or five billion today, but we can do it much faster and we can generate revenues along the way. I think that's what the exciting proposition for companies like Zalira represents. And we can take our products into global markets, which you know even GW can't do at this point in time. So I think there's some really unique features of, I think, our company, which the market's starting to recognise, which uh, is quite disruptive and quite exciting. Yeah, okay, okay, great. Um, I, I was going to ask you uh, almost facetiously um, uh, about uh, cannabis and uh, COVID-19, um, but uh, I gather there actually has been a bit of work uh, done in this area. Yeah, there has been. I think there's some anecdotal data that's come through and some early-stage preclinical work that some of the cannabinoids uh, have some efficacy against uh, the virus. And maybe even in the whole, in the in a patient, they can improve some of the other um, cytokine storm components and so on. I, I must admit, I haven't followed it that closely. Uh, like our view is that ultimately investors have given us or committed capital to us to execute on our launch strategies. That's why we're here, and we're going to stay absolutely focused on making sure those products come to market um, on time. Uh, um, and in exactly the way that we said that we would do. So I think if we diverge from that and start tinkering with things like COVID, uh, we might um, disappoint some of our investors. So we're, we're really disciplined internally about doing what we do well, and that's bringing these validated products to market as quickly as possible. 
Yeah, sure. I think uh, I think COVID could be a bit of a uh, uh, <laughs> a distraction. Um, so, so given that, perhaps you could just sort of summarise what uh, investors sort of can expect uh, from the clinical program, or or uh, in or, or expect in terms of uh, partnership uh, news just in uh, in coming months. All right. So um, I'm very happy to do it because I think the company's really transforming fast into becoming a revenue generating. In a machine over the next six to 12 months. Uh, as we've sort of spoken about quite a bit through the, the podcast, uh, the focus for us in the short term is to launch the autism and the insomnia product called Xenobol into the Australian market initially uh, by the end of September. Um, that will be followed by additional licensing deals in the United States with upfront revenues and so on generated through that. Uh, there are additional product lines that are going to be coming on the back of the insomnia and the autism launches part of which might look at the OTC market in one case. Uh, that news should be coming out in the next month or so. That's another exciting product line. Uh, that'll be followed towards the end of the year by the launch of another product focused on aged care, which represents the fastest growing demographic for medicinal cannabis around the world. It's quite amazing that it's people aged over 50 who are leading the way in terms of the uptake of medicinal cannabis. I think that speaks to the quality of life features of the drugs that, that they're getting access to. That's uh, work that, by the way, we're undertaking in conjunction with the Parkinson's Foundation in the United States who are working with us to develop formulations that meet the endpoints for the patients in their cohorts that are currently using medicinal cannabis. So that's that classic launch, learn, develop strategy I was referring to earlier. So that's five by the end of December. And there's more products to follow over the course of next year. And we will also be, I think, running a combination of observational trials, which you can do uniquely in Australia. It's leading the world in the ability to do first world um, trials and also collect high-quality patient data, real-world data, to support your clinical data packs with very high-caliber groups in this country focused on autism and sleep. Uh, and there'll also be new trials coming to bear with a, another group we're working with called Levin. Uh, and this, in this case, we'll be looking at chronic pain in retired athletes, high-profile athletes in many cases. And then we'll be asking the question, can cannabis improve uh, not just the chronic pain those athletes experience, but also things like depression, anxiety, and improve their sleep. So pretty uh, broad focus there. So very busy company, very busy 12 months ahead of us. Ah, yes, yeah, yes, indeed. Uh, no, you mightn't uh, have a COVID-19 cure in the wings, but uh, it, it sounds like you're doing a lot of uh, very interesting things with uh, cannabis, and uh, there's a lot for um, investors to uh, watch out for. Um, so, uh, Richard, uh, great to uh, talk and uh, thanks for joining me today. Good on you, Tim. Thanks for the opportunity to come and uh, speak to you. Always a pleasure and to your audience. Thanks, Richard. Thanks.